Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Amen. Thank you, Jordan. Hey, you guys, uh, good morning. Like uh, Jordan said, I'm Ben. I'm the associate pastor here at Watermark. So glad you're joining us this weekend. I have one more special announcement. I want to introduce you to my friend and mentor. His name is Jerry Tallow. He has led, yes, many of you know Jerry. Some of you have never met him before. Yeah, that was worth it. That was totally, he deserves that. He's led churches for 36 years on the East Coast. And uh, just when you think he would roll over and die, he's still helping other churches... He's still helping other churches as, as a mentor, as a coach, as a support. And he, he's like that at Watermark. He, he's here. He calls Watermark his church home. Probably stealing half your speech, but uh, j- just tell him who you are really quick. Good morning, everyone. There are so many new faces. Um, it's great to see you all. So I grew up in upstate New York, met my wife there. Uh, we have, we've been married 38 and a half years. We have eight children, 12 grandchildren so far. Uh, and I pastored a long time there and ended it in 2016. And uh, actually, some of the brothers here contacted me and invited me out to come and serve here. And so what we do now is, like Ben said, uh, our, my heart is to mentor young pastors and leaders in their personal lives, their marriages, their ministries, all of their calling Uh, So, for example, here at Watermark, I work with Ben and Eric. Tomorrow morning we'll be meeting early if Eric brings the coffee. Uh, And I work with currently four churches here in Orange County. There's a fifth one that's interested. Uh, Watermark is our home-based church. My wife is back east for this semester keeping an eye on our elderly moms. But normally she would be out here serving as well. Uh, and I also work with six churches in northern New York. So I'm out here about eight months a year, and I'm back in the Rochester area about four months, mainly here for the school year. And I also come alongside the lead pastors and serve them and the elders however I can, uh, basically invest in the young men to make them successful and the churches And the other three churches I work with are a lot younger. One of them is a new church plant. And so I love doing that to help these young guys. Because after 36 years, I've made more mistakes than all of them put together. So it's a good way to learn. So anyway, we're here. Uh, At least I'm here. And it's great to be here. And I just appreciate these guys and this excellent young man here. In all seriousness, guys, uh, pastors probably for a lot of decades now, they don't, they don't make it over three decades. It, it just it typically doesn't work that way. It's tough, grueling work. And, and then to make it 36 years and then say, yeah, I want another 12 rounds. Uh, it's, I, it's no, I don't nuts. want a pastor. No, let's get this straight. Yeah, so he's not, but he's, a, he's still in ministry supporting those so they can make it through such a tenure, maybe themselves. And uh, so after getting the support from his church for all those years, now he raises his own support. His family is raising his own support to do this very good work. So if you have questions, you want to talk to Jerry after. Jerry, will you be out there in the lobby? Can people talk to you? Is that okay? Since the Yankees aren't playing, yes, I will. Okay, perfect. Will you join me? Let's pray for Jerry and and, um, his wife, Sandy, and uh, that God would bless them and keep them in this work. Jesus, I thank you so much for Jerry. Uh, He's impacted my life greatly. Uh, Thank you for this call to build up and support churches and their leadership. It is a need, Lord. 
It can feel like such an isolated, lonely job. And yet Jerry is, is joining arm in arm with, with men and women who are called to this work. So be with him and Sandy, Lord God. As they have this distance right now, encourage them, give them total unity. And, of course, uh, build up his ministry so that these other churches, these other organizations could, could um, get healthy and, and, and be successful, like he said, Lord. So bless him and keep him in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Jerry. Hey, so we're, like uh, Jordan might have mentioned, we're in this series called Flourish. Our groups are uh, in tandem, marching through every session of the book that, mirror, that is then mirrored on the Sunday morning. And uh, today, if you went to your, your book, you'd see that we're on gospel. And, uh, you know, it's a different kind of gospel message. We're going to get there in a second. But, you know, before Riley and I, that's my wife. We've been married 10 years last May. And, uh, yeah, cheers. Yeah, shameless cheers for the, the decade. So good, yes, from the midsection. And, uh, but before we started working stateside in churches, we, we worked uh, overseas. We worked international, like on the so-called mission field. And uh, we had this one job in, in Southeast Asia uh, working for this nonprofit. And uh, we had this one gal who was our supervisor. Uh, I'll just call her Manny. Uh, Manny was a little rough around the edges, okay? Uh, she's kind of a hard-driving particular woman. Uh, suffice to say, we often failed in our day-to-day tasks, and, and she would kind of let us know rather, rather bluntly how we'd messed up. And, and I'll never forget her email signature, you know, the little part where the name goes at the end of the email. And, and it said, like, you know, in italics, it said, blessed to be a blessing. And I just always thought, man, that's so ironic, blessed to be a blessing. Because it's kind of like that, you know, the Christian cars that you see, and they got all the stickers decked out, and they proceed to cut you off, like, miserably. And you're like, well, something doesn't fit here. It's, it's not, there's a mismatch. And yet this shortened phrase, blessed to be a blessing, uh, it stuck, stuck with me over the years. It's actually a phrase that comes from Scripture. It's kind of like the paraphrased version, but it comes from Scripture. And I want to give you an example of it that's on the screen now. This is from Genesis chapter 12. I'll read it. Now the Lord said to Abram, go out from your own country, your relatives and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Then I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will exemplify divine blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but the one who treats you lightly I must curse. And all the families of earth will bless one another by your name. So cool. So this is Abram before he was Abraham. For those of you who don't know, Abraham is, he's like the patriarch, the father of the body of Israel. In the first five books of the Bible, we find the history of God's chosen people, the Israelites. And he's the one that gets the tap. In this chapter, chapter 12, he gets invited to be the guy. This invitation to lead this mass movement of God's chosen people. These Jews were meant to reflect and magnify God. They were going to be on this new deal, a new program that would reflect God's glory. Here on earth with a group of people. They would show the glory of God. And then one day, hundreds if not thousands of years later, Jesus, right, the Messiah, would come from that line of people, from the Israelites. And he would be a light not just to Jews, but to the whole world. Abraham's like the beginning guy of that seed that goes on and on. And, you know, the crazy thing about Abraham, if you read the rest of that chapter, was he, ble- was he really a blessing? He's blessed to be, he was blessed, I'm going to bless you into the whole world they're going to be blessed on your behalf. The very same chapter he turns around, and, and like one of his first steps on this program is to pass through Egypt. So he's got to talk to Pharaoh. And, and of course, he says, to, he says to his wife, you're too beautiful. Let's tell Pharaoh that you're my sister, because somehow that's going to assure that someone doesn't want to steal you. Um, if, you're, if you're my sister instead of my wife, no one's going to want to take you as their wife. I don't understand the logic, but anyways. 
Pharaoh gets in trouble because he ends up taking the sister, who's actually Abram's wife, and he's busted. And then God sends a plague on Pharaoh because he's like, uh-uh-uh, I have a special plan for Abram and his wife. And, and they get grilled. I'm thinking to myself, Abram, you just started out. Was, it, was Abram blessed to be a blessing? I mean, was he a blessing to Pharaoh? Not so much. Boom. So ironic. And so you see, you guys, when you're here this morning, we're talking about becoming gospel. We're not much unlike Abraham. Instead of being chosen for national leadership, we've been chosen to reflect the name of Jesus into the world. And he had this great blessing to be the father of a great historical nation. We have this great blessing of faith. For most of us in the room, if you're still exploring, I'm going to lay it out for you, what it means on the other side of the cross. If you were to say yes to Jesus, this is what it means to live that truth. But we, as those who call ourselves Christians, have this gift of salvation, but we're called to be a blessing with that. What do we do with that? You're saved. So you're saved. So what? That's the question this morning that I want to pose to us. What happens when the people of God are not really a blessing? Like I said, if you look at this, this session three within your books, and if you don't have one, you're like, what the heck is he talking about? It was the book that Jordan was waving up here. We'd love to get you one out in the lobby. But this session on gospel, what we're talking about this morning, is not your standard, you know, uh, creation, fall, Christmas, Easter, and on the third day he rose again. For what? What for? Why? But why did he rise on the third day? So, so we could get to heaven? Just so we could get to heaven? So, so like I said, if you're new to church and you're exploring, I'm so happy because I want to spare you the lesson of years later when you're fed a piece of gospel that's not the whole story. I want you to understand the full picture day one. But if you've been in church for 20 years, awesome. Let's have a refresher. Here's what you should know about Christianity. It's not just about getting your personal sins forgiven so you can go to heaven. That's not the complete gospel picture. It's not so Ben Appleby can have his personal sins forgiven and then I can have a ticket to ride. That is not a complete gospel picture. Jesus was sent. Jesus was sent, and and he in turn died and rose on the third day so that we could bear his name and we could be participants in his cosmic rescue mission. That's true. That's crazy to think of that mere humans could participate with the God of the universe and help him come alongside others and invite them into this thing. But if you look at Genesis, where we just were a second ago, you can see in the beginning, God created man and woman. And he said, go take care of the earth. Name the animals. Take care of the earth. Multiply. He delegated. Something happened there. He delegated a piece of responsibility, a piece of even authority. The word is uh, stewardship. It means co-regents, co-rulers, co-rulers. As crazy as that seems. We're called to be participants with him in his work. And I'll tell you a picture. We talked about Genesis 1. That's the first book of 66. Let's go to the last book of 66. How do I know for sure that Jesus was on a, a, a thing much bigger than just me or, or one other person in the room? How do I know? Well, I look at the last book of the Bible. This is what it says. This is John. He got this picture of what the end of the world would look like. This is God showing him a picture of what it would look like. What's it going to be? It answers some important questions. It says here in Revelation. 21, chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had ceased to exist, and the sea existed no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. 
and wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will not exist anymore, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the former things have ceased to exist. A new heaven and a new earth, and not a tear will be shed any longer. That's a restoration picture that's far bigger than any one individual. Do you see how that's, that's a cosmic picture? Is it cosmic picture, or is it selfie? Which one is it? Is it a much bigger thing, or is it just a reflection of my own soul getting a ticket to ride? What is the picture I read in that? A new heaven, a new earth, where God, why would he say to, the, to Adam and Eve, take care of the animals, take care of the earth, take care of all these things. This whole thing is going to be restored. So actually, that's why Jesus was sent. That's why Jesus was sent, why he was killed and why he was raised. And there's an invitation, you guys. For a moment, if I can talk to those Christians in the room, we've been a part of this program for some time. When you say yes to Jesus, there's an invitation to join him in that cosmic rescue mission. So today, we're saved. Some of us, most of us, maybe. Some of us not. I I beg of you, ask some questions. Let's talk afterwards. What next? How do we set our hearts on using this blessing to be a blessing? Blessed to be a blessing. We have this gift of faith, this blessing of salvation to know, have a personal relationship with Jesus. So what? What do we do with that? Well, here's what I want to recommend. Today, I want to talk about not just gospel, like I said, not just Easter, not just the rising again, but becoming. That's the word for this morning is becoming. How do we become a part of the gospel? And I think that you'll be able to find through application that there's a move that we can make. The part of becoming gospel is to turn. That's a biblical word. The word was repent, to make a churn in purpose and, and head to heart. We just sung that song a second ago that we have a head to heart connection that is, a, that is an about face. And that sometimes that may lead to a tough, tough tough circumstance or scenario. In fact, a lot of new believers, when I get to know them and meet them and they say yes to Jesus for the first time, things get a lot more harsh before they get better. There are some tough things when they have a new life, a new reality, new decisions to make about their relationships, their friends. Their whole world is reoriented. It can be tough. And yet there's a picture from above at the end that if we churn and we can walk through the fire of some gnarly seasons, that there's a view from the top. There's a top orientation. There's a place that we can magnify Jesus from. And that's what becoming looks like. So we hear the good news of Christ and he saves. And we turn, like Bucky talked about last week, we turn as an inward thing. That's how Jesus works. It is not an outward self-salvation project. We are not in the business of trying to save ourselves. So if you're new and you're exploring, you may feel that. And let that be an encouragement to you that there's no way that you can save yourself. It has to be a power outside yourself. So we churn, like Bucky talked about last week, from an inward mind and a new orientation, and we face every obstacle, every trial, every pain point with a new outlook that Christ might be bigger in us, and the world might see that from a high view, from a perspective. In that, you guys, I'm hoping that we'll be moved from, a, from some kind of pseudo-gospel to, to, for, you know, that's saved to get to heaven and into a, a magnification of the cross. That's the gospel. The cross will be magnified in your life and my life. So today, as we're looking at becoming, what happens? What happens after that moment of forgiveness? Who remembers? Who remembers one of the first things Jesus said before his big, epic, best sermon of all time that we find in Matthew 5? If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, he has this epic message. What does he say before he ever gets to that point? He's baptized. What's the first thing he says to a public crowd? Does anyone remember? What does he say? It's free. This is collaborative and participatory. What does he say? 
All right, I'm going to show you anyway. That's okay. That's why we have slides. Matthew 4 says, from the time that Jesus began to preach this message, he's baptized. The first word he has for us is this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's, that's striking for me. Why? Of all the messages Jesus could have preached. Okay? He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He has all the wisdom in the world, wiser than any fool you know on the planet right now. And he could have said anything, and he went with repent. And I know that's not a popular word in the culture. I get that. I understand. But I'm going to explain it for you, and I'm going to unpack it a little bit. It means to churn. It comes from this original word, uh, metanoia. Metanoia means that meta, which is change, have a churn. And the noia, mind, becoming from the inside out. That's what he meant when he said churn, becoming from the inside out. But before we can do that, why would we even need to churn? Is, is there even a, a mandate or an encouragement to, to have that motive? Where, where does the motive come from to even churn? Well, I love looking at Paul, and that's where we're going to live, by the way, this morning, you guys. This is the second half of Romans 7. If you have your Bibles or your phone, get it out. You can follow from the second half of Romans 7 and then uh, big parts of Romans 8. But I love Paul in this. He's my favorite, okay, this epic leader of the faith. You know, almost half of the New Testament books written by this guy, this maniac for Jesus and getting his churches started and starting all this stuff. Amazing, right? You think this guy was like, like maybe he figured the sin thing out, right? He was probably above average when it came to to sinning. But what does Paul say? That's not what I read in Romans 7. This is what he says. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? But in our culture, that's hard to offer the word repent. Because a lot of us, maybe we we feel like we don't need a reminder that we're we're miserable or that we have some wretched parts and pieces to us inside. Anyone in here? Anyone in here ever had a bad thought? This is a real census moment. Anyone ever had a bad thought? You ever a bad thought over here? A couple, two or three over here. You guys have bad thoughts over there? You guys have some bad thoughts? You have some bad thoughts right now? Shame on you. You're wicked. You're miserable. It's not cool. It's not cool. Like take me for example. Sometimes I make fun of other Christians. Okay? Um, like the other day, uh, I, I, I'm behind this car. This is a real thing. I alluded to it earlier. I'm behind this car, and the license plate says, like to pray. And two is with the number two. You know it was. You already knew. It's got the OC Harvest Festival sticker, and it's got another church sticker over here. And it's got another sticker over there. And I thought, man, do you think, I, like to my wife, I was like, do you, think, do you think maybe they're a believer? Do you think they're a Christian? Maybe they're a Christian. I mean, and she, she's bold. Because I, I know that the way I drive, that that, that can't happen. Because there's going to be, a, once again, there's going to be an irony there. I'm not going to be blessed to be a blessing behind a motor vehicle. It's, it's not going to be that way. But I, I, I credit her. That's awesome. Because I know she probably has a perfect driving record with those stickers and that license plate. I know she does. So, yeah, man. I fall short in thought all day long. And that's sin. So why do we need to pr- repent? And we don't like that word other. Sin. Any word, thought, or deed that falls short of the glory of God. That's sin. Just let that be your operating definition. That's sin. Any word, thought, or deed that falls short of the glory of God. And I'm going to be first one, like Paul, to raise my hand and say, man, I'm, I'm chief among sinners in the room. But you know what? The other thing about gospel, you should know, becoming gospel. What gospel means literally is good news. We're not going to live in that passage all morning, so take heart. But there's good news because that means you're in need of a Savior. If you're like me and you ever have one bad thought, if you fall short of the glory of God in word, thought, or deed, awesome because that means you're in need of a Savior. The self-salvation project won't work. It will not cut it. So Paul leaves with that question, who, who, who will free me? 
He goes on to answer it. I love it. So he says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we pick up in 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can we just give it up right now? I can't clap because the mic. Let's just give it up. There, go, go ahead. You can clap right now. Therefore is no more condemnation. The passage, another passage of Paul says that from the moment you say yes to Jesus, you're declared right. Right there. You're de- you have right standing with him in that moment. And yet, I love, I talked with my friend Steve about this all the time. We say to ourselves, why do we feel like we see these, these fellow brothers and sisters in the faith? We see these fellow Christians, and we think to ourselves, why do they seem so defeated? That was the word he used. I thought, man, that's such a critical word. They seem so defeated. I, I, and I feel like I'm missing this part of, because it looks like they're walking around as condemned people. Yet they've been declared right. They've been declared Right. And we have that truth that stands for, for you and for me. And every person that would say yes to Jesus is that you have right standing. There's no condemnation. And, and yet, what does the becoming process really look like? Because we get to the next thing. That's turn, okay? Turn is a big part of it. And our, and our turn, tough and top, churn is a huge part of it. But then we really get into some begin, becoming. Because the passage doesn't say, and there will be no more cross for you. And there will be no affliction. And there will be no displeasure. It doesn't say that. And we know that from Paul's life. That's not the life that he lived. But he will seek to answer what happens in the tough. If we've looked at turn and we've made a turn in our lives, the next thing we're going to face is the tough stuff of becoming gospel. And here's what he has to say about it. This is from Romans 28, a famous passage, the famous Christian passage. I think one of my friends says that this is above your toilet seat in your room and your Christian home is framed in a picture. Oh, beautiful. All things work together for the good. Hang with me for a second. Verse 28. 828. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God are called and are called according to his purpose. Because those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So why? Why did he rise? Why did he rise on the third day? Why do we churn and why do we repent? And what does becoming look like? Be conformed to the image of the son. To be conformed to his likeness, his way, his reflection. Remember Abraham's job? Grab this ragtag group of Israelites and reflect and magnify to the whole world that there's a one true God of the universe. Jesus comes, we get to reflect his name and his way in the same exact concept to the world, to those around us. We're his reflection. So you guys want to know what? You want to know the secret? For me at least, I've, I've tried to do some work on this. And I feel like I know, I feel like I know how God's doing that in my life. Like, I, 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 I feel like I'm on to him right now about how he's going to conform me to the likeness of his son. And it's this little thing called children. So my wife and I, we have these babies. We got all kinds of babies. And, I, and he's doing, that's his means. His means of conforming is, okay, the people are laughing because we have seven kids. I'll just give you that insight. Don't be distracted. Hang with me. And I know that God's giving me the kids. It doesn't matter if it's seven. It could have been three. It could have been one. I tell parents to come to me and say, oh, my God, you guys are legends, seven kids. How? I, I'm having a hard time with one. And I say, you know what? That one person is one person outside yourself that you have to care for and make sure they survive. <laughs> that's a tough enough job. Yeah. But I know that that's the mechanism for which God is conforming me to the likeness of his son is through these babies, through these children, to humble me, to remind me I am not in control. Look at the passage. I'm not in control. He is. That's what I take from that passage. And so in our home, um, we try and practice uh, apologies. We, we, We practice the turn to say I'm sorry. And we practice forgiveness on the other side to be reconciled. When someone crosses one another, 
Uh, they've broken the rule. They've broken what we call covenant, which is a boundary. Like a, it's, a, it's an expectation, an agreement we have with one another, brother and sister. But they try and practice apology and then forgiveness and, re- and, and, and reconciliation. And, um, you know, sometimes I'm, I get to do that more than anyone. So, like, uh, two weeks ago, my wife, God bless her, finally was able to get out of the house for, like, two or three hours to go to some appointment. And I'm with the kids. And what am I doing? I'm crying over spilt milk. Like, I do. I actually cry over spilt milk. The phrase means nothing to me. I cannot encourage myself by saying, Ben, hey, just remember, man, no use crying over spilt milk. It doesn't work. Okay? And my, my sweet, you know, five-year-old daughter, she's got this um, toy. And it's like a sandbox. It's a small sandbox with all this, like, you know, these small granules of sand. And she tips it over from the, the, the homeschool cabinet. And there's sand everywhere. And I'm just, like, ballistic. Like, what's the matter with you? Ah, I said some other things. I won't repeat them here. And I didn't, I didn't curse. They take it easy. I'm not that wretched of a sinner. All right? But, I, but I, I was stern. I was overly aggressive and a little bit loud with Evie. And she's just, like, trying to get the thing down. Totally innocent. And so as fine as I, you know, a couple of seconds later, two minutes later, I'm, I'm down on one knee and I'm like, Everett, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I was too harsh with you. Will you forgive me? I get to ask for forgiveness. And, and, and I say this next part, not as an excuse to say I, I'm getting out of it and I'm okay in that because I need to work in that. That's my inward stuff. That's my stuff I need to turn. I need to repent from week over week over week. But, but God gave me this gracious moment where he, where he just, not audibly, but he spoke to me. In this moment, he just said, you know what, Ben? In your house, they will know forgiveness. In your house, they will come to know and understand forgiveness. They will come to know it. In our home, we're becoming gospel. We're attempting to become gospel. Even through the tough circumstantial points, what is the point in that to be shaped the image of God, to be shaped the image of Jesus? So let me ask you a more practical question for you, because not everyone has babies, all kinds of babies in their circumstance, all right? But when someone comes to you in the neighborhood or in your home or in your workplace, and you're out to dinner or lunch and coffee, and they come to you, and they're pouring their heart out about what a bad lot in life they have right now that is just jacked up, it's backwards. Well, how do you respond? What do you say? Man, your boss is the worst. Dude, your roommates, I mean your husband or wife, they're the worst, they are the worst. Your kids, dude, they're the worst. Do we only lament? Or do we offer perspective? Hang with me for a second. It's so vitally important to offer empathy and to offer sympathy and to be broken with them, to meet them in that common ground. But is that all we ever do? Like, could we learn, for example, to, to ask the question, man, you know what? That, is, that sucks. That, that sucks. That's hard. I wonder what God's up to. What's God up to in that? Because what I read in Romans 28 is that he uses the things, the tough stuff here, to conform us to the image of Jesus. And as, as I'm thinking about this, I'm, I'm trying to come up with some kind of crafty metaphor and like picture. Like, what does God do in that? That tough circumstance, the tough things. We turn, now we're into tough. What is it? What is, is it zappers? Is it pointers? Is it, is it lightning rods? All of those have a pretty stellar negative connotation, okay? We don't need another angry pointer finger God picture in your heads. So this is what I got instead for you, all right? This is what I got instead. Um, This is a picture of what God's doing. This is a picture right here, right there. The ray gun. That's God. God's the ray gun. I apologize really quickly for having a bare leg on Sunday morning. So just get past it. That's a, that's a, I'm going to say a a man's bare leg. And he's got this weird concoction looking like a gun with a pokey rubber ball on the end. that's going to town on that lower thigh. Has anyone in the room ever been sore? You ever been sore? Maybe just from a long walk. Maybe from recovering from an injury or maybe from a workout. Everyone's been sore. 
You may want to know that's like uh, lactic acid, obviously, all this junk and all this stuff in your muscles. And, and, and if you proceed to live your life without ever working that stuff out, it's dangerous. Look at my dad. One day he bent over to get you know, a, a bar of soap and like destroyed his back, like jacked it up. It was not because of the heavy weight of the soap bar, I assure you. Okay? The guy probably wasn't stretching. There was something off. There, that was only the, the symptom of something going on underneath. It's a symptom of something going on underneath. And you see the best athletes, the most functional people, that they, they go through this, oh, it's painful. That thing sucks. It's so painful. It's way worse. The previous technology to this was like a foam roll. It's like you can put the weight of just your, your leg on top of this, this rigid rolling piece of foam, and it comes nowhere close to what's probably called the Theragun, but I'm going to call it the Ray Gun because it sounds like something from Pixar, and it's awesome, and you're going to remember it. The real name is called a percussive therapy tool. Percussive Harsh, right? It is, whether you know it or not. I haven't even used one before, so I'm not talking like I'm a professional. I'm just saying it's harsh. I've heard, and I believe it's harsh. He works all things for the good. Like, what if we could learn to say in those moments when we're having those conversations, what if we could learn in in those moments to say, man, he's he's preparing to do his best work. He's preparing to do his best stuff with you right now. He's about to do something so good right now. You're becoming. You're becoming. And take heart. We can't live there forever. Like I said, we don't have to live in the tough forever. Take heart. In the passage I skipped over, I'm going to go on to one even cooler. Jesus says that, he, the verse says that Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father, and he's like petitioning for us. He's like, oh, oh, man, did you see that, God? He's like, but give him another chance. Just give him one more opportunity. Just hang with him. Can you give him enough grace just to get through that one last piece? And he goes on one step further, and this is from uh, verse 35 in chapter 8. This is what it says. It says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day and we're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming wasn't even a contest overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. It wasn't even close. That's what he did on the third day. You know, um, again, I've never been there, but uh, I'm thinking about Israel, okay, modern-day Israel. And, 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 you know, today they still quibble over where the exact location of where the crucifixion, where Jesus was hung on a cross, a historical fact, which there are historical artifacts for, if you're skeptical or you're here today and you have questions. They, they, they quibble over, the, over, over where it was exactly. And then, of course, today there's all these claims. They stake all these claims to where they believe it was, and they built a church over it or whatever. And yet there's two distinct clues from Scripture directly. It says that it was outside the city walls, and it was visible to passerbys. It was outside the city walls, and it was visible to passerbys. So let's just go for an example of what it could have looked like. This is a real picture of modern-day Jerusalem, and this is what some of you may know, they call it Golgotha, which is, means place of the skull. You can see in the side of the mountain, it kind of looks like skull um, uh, eyes right there. And then you got the tour buses below, and I'm thinking about this picture, and I'm thinking about that passage. They're slaughtered every day. We face circumstance and difficulty and trial and tough stuff. We have turned, and now we're in the thick of the toughness so that the cross could be up top, so the cross could be top. And think about the visibility for those below and above and all around as you came through and you could see the cross. The gospel shines in the circumstance. 
we shine. We magnify. We put Christ on display from atop. When we face these trials and circumstances every day. So as we close and the band comes up, this is the question. If I have not applied enough, let's apply right now. Let's practice some application right now. Is the cross at the top in every area of your life? Is the cross at the top in every area of our lives, of my life? Is the cross at the top in how you raise your kids? Are we so busy in raising our kids that we just want to make sure that we're going to, if the previous generation was the helicopter generation, they put helmets on their kids to go to the playground, and we padded every single playground to make sure they don't get injured? Then are we just going to double down on that and make it even doubly soft and sensitive and easy and safe for them? Or do we understand that there's tough stuff? And when our kids go through the crucible, that prepares them for the circumstance and the tough yet to come. Is the cross the top in our parenting and how we raise our kids and the worlds that we help them understand? Is the cross a top in the areas where we tell our money to go? It's a sensitive subject and a dirty word. I understand. I get it. But all I want to do is emulate what Jesus did as I read his words through the Gospels. And as I look cover to cover in the Bible, why did he talk about it so much? Why, why did God and, and, and Jesus, why are there so many references to this stuff? Well, because it had our heartstrings, our stuff, our possessions, our time, our money. It was so deeply ingrained that that's one of the last things that is so impossible to have a turn on. If we have this inward head-to-heart connection, we want to make a turn... What about our stuff, our precious things, and our precious finances? You guys, we're going to be the first generation to spend our entire retirement wealth on eating out. We eat so much food out. And we, we, I, I re-up for my new iPhone. I haven't done it yet, but I, I thought about it for like only two seconds of the whatever, however many hours I was given in a day. And they got the new iPhone that costs $1,000. And it's, of course, all payment plans. Anyone else lease their phone? Anyone lease their phone out here? Yeah, we, we're like leasing our phones now, right? There's no guilt trip. There's no shame. That's a wonderful technology. And if, you, if you've told your money where to go and you know where your budget is, that's fantastic. Talk to me afterwards. I want some tips about how I can do that and can control my finances. But it was like, it was not even going to be a blip for me to consider spending an extra $30 a month on my phone bill. My, not just like a one-time fee. Monthly, I was going to make time and money and I was going to allow for that. It's just a simple example. And guys, Apple is beautiful, lovely, wonderful technology, okay? Hear what I'm saying. I'm only saying what Jesus tried to say when he said, beware what has your heartstrings. And is the cross the centerpiece of where we tell our money to go? How about how we talk to people? Is the cross at the top and how we talk to people? Do we leave this place and there's a different persona that comes out during the nine to five on Monday? That's an important question. That's important for us to look at. So I want to I end like this. Um, my son Levi, um, seven years ago, today, my firstborn came into the world. Yeah. And, uh, and yet, before that snowy day, we were living in Denver at the time, before we delivered him after a two-day two labor delivery experience, um, we had this 20-week ultrasound. It's like the big checkup, this big ultrasound. And the doctor comes back and says, uh, he's got fluid around, it looks like what might be fluid around his heart, something called uh, fetal hydrops. Um, it's dangerous. The doctor immediately pivots and, and suggests for us, uh, here's what we'll do. We're going to wait and see if you can make it to 27 weeks, and then we'll just do emergency C-section to save the baby's life because the baby's life is actually in danger because of this fluid. 
I can remember just sitting in the car in the uh, Cherry Creek mall parking lot with my wife, just weeping and inviting God to do something and to meet us there in that moment. And uh, the next week, my mom came out for the follow-up ultrasound. And my mom was a gospel. My mom was a piece of gospel to be with us in that moment. When we were in a different city with no family and very few connections, and we're expecting our first child, 25 and 24 years old. And that's the news you get about your first labor and delivery experience is that the kid might be not going to make it. You're going to go to an emergency C-section. And my mom comes out, she drops everything and just says, I'm getting on a plane. I'll be there in a few days. She's gospel. As we look at becoming, as you look at becoming, God will use you in that same way to be co-participants in this cosmic rescue mission. He will use you in those same ways. How could I know that Levi would be the firstborn, healthy and whole of seven babies? How could I know that God wanted to do that with Riley and I? I'll answer that question right now because people always ask, Ben, did you know? Was that always the plan? I had no clue. Why? Because of what it says in Isaiah 55, and you have to get this so clearly. It says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. When we're going through the tough, and we're going through the circumstance, and we're going through the pain and the trial, he has a different program that maybe we can't even see. I could never see what he wanted to do by building this family and building this household giving birth to a perfectly healthy, functioning young boy who's now seven. And we get to celebrate his golden birthday on the seventh. We've sung, you guys, this whole morning, we've already sung gospel, what becoming gospel is. That you're never going to let, you're never going to let me down. That's what we sung before I got up here. That you're never going to let, never going to let me down. Let's continue in, in singing right now and let that be our prayer. Jesus, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for your good news. Lord, your your good news is not just isolated to one moment. Your good news is not just isolated to one word. It's It's not just tied to my personal salvation project, Jesus. That would so cheapen your grace. The the pure gift of your grace, Jesus, the pure gift that is freely given what you did on the cross and has offered every single one of us in this room is so much more than one day, one moment, one crossing the line of faith. You have so much more that you want to do in and through us. Father, for those who are sitting here right now and they are right there in the tough, they're in the middle of the tough, in the middle of the thicket. Lord God, I pray that they would take hope in the passage that your love surrounds us. Through your cross, Lord God, you declared unflinching victory over the tough things and the circumstances and the trials, the ultimate ones and the ones here and now. So be with people that are sitting here right now and they're, they just can't even see it. Be with them, build them up, encourage them. And for the rest of us, Lord God, give us the inward transformation, the inward turning to put you in your rightful place atop it all, atop everything, Jesus. That's my prayer pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.